You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I'm your co-host, PJ, but we did invite Joe Curtis to the big boys table today. So he's no longer in the corner. He has made it from the corner to the table. And so he's here with us, and the us is Matt Shiles. He's obviously my co-host. And so, hey, great to be with you, gents. Peace be. Peace be. And you gave me, your whole family created a shirt for me that says Peace Be. Oh. All right. I will I will wear it this weekend. Well, no, no, I can't wear it this weekend because I'm not preaching this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I could, but no, I want to wear it and show everybody. All right. So. That's awesome. What's it yeah. look like? Is it black? It's just, just black. Just like the one that I have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I told him we couldn't wear it on the same day. Because people might think that we're twins. They might mix us uh, up. It, it just mix just a little bit. I mean, I have gotten more of a tan since I moved to Florida. Start calling so. you Joe. <laughs> I, don't have a bald, I don't have a bald head. No, and you don't exactly. want me to have a bald head because I got a lot. And not only my mom dropped me on my head. when I, She oh, didn't. Mom, I love you. Because she listens to extra takes all the time. Flat spots. Oh well, they're flat ridges. Flat, like yeah, it's weird. Like yeah, you don't want you don't want me to have a bald head. Like Lord, please don't let please me have a bald that. head. Like I love you. <laughs> I think we're I think we're getting off topic now talking about a bald head. I, my my head will not glow like Joe's. Here we go. So. I expect nothing less on a Monday afternoon. All right, so uh, let's get into it. This was the final week of Ruth, and this is November fourth and fifth, and. You've been looking forward to this week for quite some time, probably months. I mean, this is when you think about uh, doing a series on Ruth. This is this is probably the the message that you thought about most, right? Well, it was, and and the reason why I was thinking about it the most is just every. <laughs> It overwhelms me to see what what God did and then what you see in chapter 4, but in the context of the Bible, too. Like, like that's what I was trying to do at the very end is put it now in the context of the canon of Scripture, the overarching story of God. Like, I mean, I just it, – it just – it really does. It just blows me away. And, and I think the other part of it is, is that, I, I mean, I really – have experienced something similar to what I read Naomi experiencing, mm-hmm. and which is why I talked about how you know Northland pastoring Northland is God's redemption in my life, and just just the call that He's placed on my life. I think Northland's you know is experiencing God's redemption, like, and then ultimately we've experienced the ultimate element of redemption, which is Jesus, and so. I mean, that's where I like, I, I know, like, I probably, there's times where I'm a little overwhelming for people, but I have been overwhelmed by God. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, and so obviously I do capture that. And I, and, and again, I personify that, I think, because I truly have been overwhelmed. Yeah. And I, I couldn't even imagine, like, and obviously Naomi didn't see the end of where Obed was going, you know, but I'm sure. I mean, I could just imagine her seeing Jesus, you, you know, and going, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. You, you know, like, I mean, because she's not just somewhere out there in outer space. I mean, she's in the presence of God. Like, I, could you imagine that conversation? Like, yeah. I, 
I mean, just speechless. Mm-hmm. Like, just like God, how in the like, mm-hmm. I thought I was, I thought I was doomed, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but you truly turned my mourning into dancing. You you, you truly brought light into my darkness in, in in a way that I would have ne- I would have never even dreamed of. And so so that's why like I knew chapter 4 was going to be that because the author he wants to make sure that we that the even the audience that he was writing to at that time would just have their jaws drop like Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse, we—he was the father of David. Like, like, yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, yeah, like, yeah. type thing. I mean, that's what—that's what he was getting after. And so it's fascinating. And then I didn't even didn't even go into this because it just didn't have any time. But if you look at Perez, do you know where Perez? Because I didn't even get into the genealogy. But there there was a genealogy at the very end of chapter four right. that started with Perez. Uh-huh. Do you know where Perez came from? Don't recall. Joe, you know where Perez came from? That's, um, yeah, I do know, but I, I, reading it is better now. Well, yeah. So it's, so Perez got his origin uh, from Genesis 38. Now you have Tamar. Tamar was his was his mom, but mm. but do you know what Tamar did? Tell us. Okay, so you have Judah, which is one of the sons of Israel. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so his wife died, and then now you have Tamar. Uh, she's a daughter-in-law because because who she was married to uh, was Judah's son. Mm. He dies, so she dresses up like a prostitute oh. to deceive Judah into sleeping with her. Judah sleeps with Tamar, not knowing that it's his daughter-in-law, and right. they have twins. And the first one that came, you know, so here's what we read at the very end. So and this is Genesis 38. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. And so... Talk about redemption again of the utmost scale. Like, so you have Perez who is born out of wedlock, basically, but who was also born from an incestuous relationship. And Perez is in the line of not only Ruth. And Naomi, but now in the line of Jesus. Mm. Like, mm. so this is, I mean, this, like, that's why, like, I'm telling you, like, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what your, your story, how awful you think your story is. Mm. Listen, our God is a redeeming God. Like, that, that's where, again, I mean, I'm getting all overwhelmed thinking about it. You are. And, you know, and, so. And, and, and what we, <laughs> what we're hearing here and what we saw this weekend was essentially the, the fruit of, your study over the last several months, yeah. and um, and we when you said you know you can overwhelm some some people, it, it, the concepts are so enormous that yeah it it is so overwhelming to try to grasp that <laughs> it's something that we have to sit in and reflect on and think about and as you've been able to do that you deliver it with such passion because not just you've you've seen it and you read it. You've also experienced it in your life, 
right? And it's real and personal. And, and what you then convey to us is, hey, if, if we have experienced that, hey, audience, listener, congregation, if you have experienced that, then, then understand the gravity of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll always, you know, get people to think like the only time I get overwhelmingly passionate in, in the sense is when I'm stressing something beautifully gracious, you know, I'm never going to get overly passionate and shame people. Now, I might right. get stern, just like I did at the very end, yeah. you, you know, and talk about covenantal obligations. Like, but I am, I'm not going to get overwhelmingly passionate where you feel like I'm shaming you. The only time I get just overwhelming, like, you're like, oh my gosh, is he yelling? But, but I, I, I could, in some sense, be stressing, you know, and my voice gets really loud by telling you, how great God is. Yeah. Like, he chose you. He, like, like yeah. You know, and it wasn't, a, like, so, if, yeah. It, yeah. But it's always going to be positive. I mean, that's where I'm like, yes. it wasn't even enough. No. You know, that he, yeah. you know, it's like, he went up, you know. So, yeah, I mean, like, it is. It's just, I mean, overwhelming. The, the overwhelming goodness of God. Like, that's where I stress. That's where I get overwhelmingly passionate. Prob- well, I know not probably, but yes, I do. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. But it adds also to where, and this is the, the beauty of it, and I think this is what draws so many people to, you're saying, hey, I'm in this mess too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not saying, hey, mm-hmm. you guys <laughs> out there, you're yeah. messy and I'm here. No, you are, you, it, it's a personal experience. Oh, yeah. And that's what, we see from the stage. It's a yeah. personal experience of, hey, we're in this mess together and we're doing this together. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's why that's where I think at least I see the that's when the high pitch really comes in. <laughs> and that's that's my preacher's falsetto. Yes, exactly. You know, uh yeah, just yeah, that's what I was thinking about. It's my preacher's falsetto is I'll get really ah! you know, so anywho. Um yeah. Oh wonderful. So <laughs> So thinking about this idea of redeem, um, you gave us three Old Testament words um, that meant redeem. So it got me thinking. I'm curious as to your research process. So do you use use the Bible software? Do you have a particular you know dictionary or resource? Do you have a, a breadth of resources when it comes to kind of looking up words like this, or where where does that that come from in your study? Well, yeah, I definitely have a breadth of resources. Like if you've ever been in my library, I, yes, I have a breadth of, of resources. Um, you know, for for me, particularly where where that uh, came from, I just got my Bible handbook mm-hmm. and just like, all right, let me look at redemption again and see, you know, how how all of the ways redemption or redeem is used. And so I took those three big concepts and I looked at, you know, and looked at it a couple of different ways just to, you know, confirm. Mm -hmm. And no, that's where it came from. And I'm like, because I knew that I was going to, I was going to chart the theme of redemption. I mean, because again, that is the big, you know, kind of theme of how you have the kinsman redeemer. Uh, so, but then to you know to to be reminded because this is where seminary and you know education really does play a huge role. Yeah, is that like so? I'm, I had a lot of background, 
But then just to be reminded and then again to know that I have these tools at my disposal that I can – I know exactly so I'm not spending four hours trying to go uh, – You know, I'm not ch- chasing rabbits. Like I know where to go. Yeah. But when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is go. Oh, I'm like, okay, this is going to be good because Ruth focuses on Goel, yeah, the the kinsman element of Redeemer. But I also found something you know interesting is Exodus six uses the word Goel, which is the idea of Israel being enslaved to Egypt. But God says, I'll be your Goel. You know, with an outstretched arm. So you can't get out of slavery yourself. And in some sense, they didn't do anything at that particular time to get into slavery. Does that make, I mean, yeah. like, so, um, if you read, you know, again, read the story of the end of Genesis, first of, you know, Exodus, you, you know, they just grew to the point where, the the Pharaoh of Egypt said, "Man, if we don't do something here, they're going to overpower us. So let's let's suppress them." Well, so that's when they started to cry out, and like God tells Moses, "Hey, uh, go tell them I'm going to be their Goel." Um, but then you have the Goel about the buying of the land. You have the Goel of the kinsman redeemer, really kind of redeeming their deceased relative. Uh, but then you look at the other elements of Redeemer, and you're like, well, I know that they're going to make an appearance because I know the end of the story. And so then um, – and that's where, for me, the beauty of this past week showed Jesus in a light, in a in a compact but dense and intense light of how he redeems holistically – and so I knew I was going to get there. So that's why I was like, I need to set this up to explain all of the elements of redemption because it's going to make a curtain call at the end. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating for me, one that is, um, you know, just just in deep with learning about all of these resources. And uh, like, like you said, you have you have the foundational knowledge that it doesn't take you hours and hours and hours to, to pull all those resources. So, um Wonderful. So something that I wanted us to talk about, we, we had four weeks of Ruth, uh, four chapters, but there was still still a lot there. So I think you had <laughs> some aspects of, uh, of Ruth, maybe four items that you didn't get to, uh, to touch on. So you, yeah, well, at least four. Those? Yeah, at least four. I mean, again, there's more, but these were yeah, – well, yeah, definitely – well, definitely – well, yeah, give me some more time. I'll give you four more. But I, as I was walking, you, you know, and just, just praying over, there were definitely some things that I'm like – these are, in some sense, subcategories that we could have explored more. Uh, and the, the first one that I noted was God uses our waywardness to win other wayward people. Mm. So if you think about Elimelech, who, I, again, he's this wayward Jew that thinks he knows better than, than God. And so he's going to take his family out of the covenant land of promise. Yeah, they shouldn't have left. They should not have left. But God still worked. But but God still worked. Mm. And so he used Elimelech's waywardness mm. and then in some sense Naomi's faithfulness, even in her bitterness, mm. to win Ruth's heart. Um, be, because where did Ruth get even? I mean this is where it's so important because this goes back to the first week. Is where did she even get this concept of covenant loyalty? Mm. Where did she get this concept of hesed? This grace, this mercy, this kind of deep, unconditional love. 
I'm I'm almost certain, even though we don't read it in the text, that Naomi talked to her over those ten years about Yahweh. Yeah, here's the story of Yahweh and Yahweh's people, and then to see how Naomi, even though uh, she's she's obviously grieving, uh, there's this bitterness, there's even some kind of distortion in her theology, as if God's done this to her on purpose without any reason. Mm. Uh, but also in that to even want to love Ruth, because again, the Hesed is used. She shows kindness by saying, won't you, I'm looking out for you. I want you to have a future. I don't have a future. I'm going to, I'm just going to own that, but I want you to have a future. And so Ruth has probably heard stories of Yahweh, heard stories from Naomi about how God has worked through his people and this covenant loyalty, this covenantal love. And she's seeing it from Naomi of going, I love you too much for you not to have a future. So I want you to have a future. And Ruth is like, no, your future is going to be my future. And so I'm not going to leave you to die. I mean, that's really what Ruth does at the very beginning is like, I'm not going to leave you by yourself because if I leave you by yourself, you are certain to die. And so... Uh, yeah, so you, so you have that, but God worked through Elimelech's waywardness to win Ruth and for Ruth to show such love to Naomi that she would have a future. And what kind of future did she have? An incredible future. Uh, I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, the, the second one is that God uses women to wow the world. And I love that. He uses women to wow the world. And so because if you look at Naomi, she lost all of the men. So now it's just going to be her. And God's going to work, th- and that's why I really do feel like uh, sometimes we get we get the focus wrong on Ruth and Boaz because yeah. I and I know that the book is called Ruth, but but it really starts with Naomi, mm-hmm. and it ends with Naomi, mm-hmm. and in some sense Ruth Boaz and and you know even the community play this kind of supporting role. Uh, now, but here's what I would ultimately say. The ultimate hero in which this is what we went to, you know, this past week, the ultimate hero is God himself, you know, which is how he works through Boaz. He works through Ruth. He works through the community to what? To actually redeem Naomi. Um, And so that's where God uses women to wow the world. So Naomi and then obviously Ruth, here she is, a, a focal point of her name means friend. Uh, she's the one who goes to work. Uh, one one of the fascinating points, uh, who wrote the book of Proverbs for the most part? Solomon. Solomon. Well, uh, who uh, who was his great-great-grandmother? Ruth. Ruth. Yeah. So did he have, and some scholars think that, that he had Ruth in mind when he penned Proverbs 31. Uh, about this godly woman because she's economically, you know, savvy. Uh, you know, she's showing up to work. Uh, she's taking care of her household. Like people rise up and call her blessed. Her husband call her, calls her blessed. She's known at the city gate. Everybody knew her. Yes. You, you know, in the community, knowing even though that she was a Moabite, that she is a woman of noble character. You know, and so, and that's why Boaz is not even ashamed 
to to say I want to marry I want to marry her like I want to redeem her because of the quality of character of Ruth and so God uses women to wow the world and so we see even in the book of Ruth this elevation of women because they're going to make a curtain call too you know with again whose whose mom was Boaz Rahab so we again they make the curtain call in Matthew chapter one where now God has not just elevated this is what's so cool He's not just elevated women. He has elevated Gentile women. He has elevated Rahab, which was a prostitute living in Jericho, Canaanite. He's elevated now Ruth, this Moabite Gentile. And so it's just incredible. Like, and, And so never put God in a box. Is what I always like to tell people. Never put God in a, in a box. Uh, wow. Yeah. Let me just say wow. <laughs> I just got to chill when you were. <laughs> um, and then uh, the last two is that God desires his people to take care of their own. And we see that in how he set up the economy of Israel where they were not to maximize their profits. So, like, for instance, Boaz, he owned this, he owned all, you know, all of this land. He uh, owned all of this harvest. And God had set it up in the law that they were not to glean or they were not to harvest the outer outskirts of their field. They were to leave them unharvested for the poor, the vulnerable, and the foreigner. That's where they would come. That's where they would glean so that they would have sustenance and food. And so what, what, what God did there is, one, he told the owners of the field, uh, the Israelites, do not maximize your profit. You always leave a percentage out for those who are poor, vulnerable, widows, orphan, the, and then the, the foreigner, the stranger. But also in setting it up that way, he gives dignity to those who are vulnerable. He gives dignity to the poor because now you're not just getting a free handout. No, you still got to work, but 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 you, there's dignity in your work because now you are providing for yourself. And so that's you know it, only in God's wisdom, you, you know, could something beautiful like that, you know, be you know be set up. Oh, that's amazing. And what what we don't want to miss in that is the, the structure was set up by God, but it, it wasn't automatic that people would obey it, right? So Boaz um, <laughs> obeyed it. Yes. Right? But not everybody would have. Well, no, because you because one of the things that you see in the book of Judges, and this is why it's so important to understand the times, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Own eyes. Here Boaz is. He is a godly man who is following God's law. So he sees himself as ob- being obligated to be faithful and obedient to what God has revealed, which is why he has left the outer areas of his field unharvested. It's also why he's going to redeem Ruth, is that he's obligated. And what what you also see, too, like, how does that apply to us today? Well, so... When you when you make a living from your career or your job, you are not to maximize the entirety of your paycheck for yourself. Right. If you own a business, you are not to maximize all of the profits that you have for yourself. You are to carve a percentage out uh, to go back to the Lord and 
to also go back. Because here's the thing about Boaz. He, not only did he have to give the first fruits of what he harvested <laughs> back to the Lord, but he also had to give a percentage of his field yeah. uh, to the poor and the vulnerable. So, again, this is why when in the in the New Testament, you, you are going to see this idea of collecting money. And you see this in Corinthians. You see this elsewhere. But where the church is collecting money to give to the Poor, so so we have that in our benevolence and how we uh, we actually have a benevolence, uh, you know, kind of line item here at Northam where we are helping those who have fallen on hard times. Uh, we also are setting up. This is part of our mercy road as we're setting up to care uh, for those who are in need uh, that are even outside the community of faith, and so uh, and inside too. I mean, so mercy road is for both uh, the believer and the non-believer, uh, but. So these are all all of things that we actually see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but in God's people and his economy, we are not to maximize profits for ourselves. We're always to leave a percentage, not only for God, to go back to his work, but also for the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable, uh, the, the the stranger. So so that and, and then the last one is this, and uh it's it's godly men protect women, especially vulnerable women. Mm. And you see that with Boaz. Boaz sees Ruth, sees that she's she's marginalized, that she is more exposed and vulnerable because she is not only a woman, you know, a woman, but she is a Moabite. And she could have been attacked. And that's why he's like, hey, you stay with my women and don't go to any other field. Because if you go to any other field, you could be attacked. And so I want to watch out for your safety and your well-being. And so I just think that godly men, that's why, like, you know, grow well as our kids have have grown up, I mean, both Joni and like, we don't hit girls. We protect them, you know, type thing. And so godly men protect women, especially vulnerable women. That's wonderful. Amen. Amen. That's really good. Um, going back on a, a a piece that you were saying about, you know, how Boaz did what he was obligated to do, and I'm just going to refresh that one particular piece of the three qualifications that he filled um, for Goel is that he had to have the right relationship to redeem. He had to have the resources to redeem. And he had to have the resolve to redeem. And talking about that and bringing in a comment, she says that this is not a love story. <laughs> or really, it's not a love story the way that we actually are thinking. We're thinking of it as more of an obligation that Boaz actually, well, you're t- you know changing it to the obligation, at least having us think that way. Yeah. So if we look at it more as an obligation than a love story, the way that we're thinking of, oh, this beautiful love story between Ruth and Boaz, but we're looking at his obligation, how would that make us think of it differently for us? Of thinking of the obligation? The obligation. Instead of thinking the Hollywood love story, yeah, thinking of it as a true obligation. Well, yeah. I mean, you actually find it in verse 10. He says, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife. And why? Because anytime you see the words in order to, Mm. or if you see so that, he's about to tell you why, right? And so in order 
to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. He tells you why he's redeeming. He's redeeming Ruth. So that Malon will continue on, so that his name won't be blotted out. I'm fulfilling my obligation as his relative to do what the Lord has told me to do. And because again, if it was ultimately because he loved Ruth, I'm telling you, the author would have said that. Is that you know Ruth? You know Boaz would have stepped up and said, "I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite because I love her." Mm-hmm. You, you know, but but he's doing, but but what he's proclaiming is the reason. He's he's marrying her is out of the obligation of what God had revealed to his people of what they are to do. And, and again, that obligation, although it was um, – he was obligated to do it, it wasn't automatic. And we see that. We see that with judges, but then we also see that in the story of the closer – Relative. Yeah, close relative. He's like, no, it's too much for me. Now, because here's another thing that people don't realize, and we don't know how older Boaz was, but he was significantly older than Ruth. I mean, scholars do believe that mm-hmm. because he, you know, one of the reasons why he he will he will refer to Ruth as my daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he could. I mean, he could be in his fifties, potentially sixties. And, you know, Ruth be, you know, be in her, you know, probably late 20s, 30s, you you know, so, I mean, so he's significantly older and it does seem like he's, he has not had a family. So. Yeah, that didn't come up and he didn't make it seem like the other uh, go out who who denied and changed. He was like, "Wait a minute, I don't want to do this because it would mess up, possibly mess up my estate." Boaz didn't have that uh, hesitation that it would mess up his estate or anything. No, no. Mm. So, but yeah, the, I mean, and and so, and one of the eye openers for for me in this is that I do believe that covenantal obligations play a huge role, not in only how God has related to his people, but how we ought to relate to him. Because in Scripture, you do have another running theme throughout Scripture, again, from Genesis to Revelation, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. Like the idea of testament means covenant. So the Old Covenant, New Testament means new covenant. So God works in covenants. Uh, There's two big overarching kinds of covenants. There are conditional covenants and there are unconditional covenants. And so what you see, you you know, with the, the, this covenant that God has entered into with Israel, like, it is a conditional covenant. As long as they're faithful to him, God will, God will do this. If they're not faithful, then God's going to, like, he's setting it up and going, listen, I'm going to be faithful to you as long as you're faithful to me. Yeah. Now, what's interesting with Jesus, when he comes along, uh, he's going to fulfill all of the obligations, which I, I went over this past week, but he's going to fulfill all of the obligations that God had promised I will do. Like, because God, you know, again, mm-hmm. in Genesis three fifteen, God says, "I'm going to do this." Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to raise up a seed. Mm-hmm. Who is going to crush the head of Satan? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Abraham, he's like, 
I'm going to do this. I will make. I will make. I will make so that you will be like. Yeah. So that's a pat. Like you will be, not like you're going to do this, mm. but you will be. Mm. Um, and then also, when Israel failed at their covenantal obligations, God promises a better covenant where He says, "Hey, listen, uh, I'm going to do this." Mm. And I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure that you obey me because I'm going to put my law in your heart and I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you will do, which is why the new covenant is so much better because not only has Jesus fulfilled the covenantal obligations of what God promised to provide, but he also has provided for us a way that we maintain covenant loyalty to him so that when we do go go you know when we when we do go waywardly the spirit of god lives inside of us to bring us back mm-hmm. you know and so and that's part of that that new testament covenant loyalty where like listen at the end of the day because the spirit of god lives in us and 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 the reason why the spirit of god lives in us is because we have confessed jesus christ as our redeemer our savior and our lord then when it comes to fulfilling our covenantal obligations we're going to want to yeah. what what not, yeah. now Sure, there's going to be times where we wrestle with our flesh where we don't want to, but the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God lives inside of us, the Spirit of God is going to bring that that desire to be covenantly, covenantly loyal to the Lord up. Like so, so that's where the, this incredible idea of God's covenantal loyalty plays such a huge role, yeah. and and that's why I love the idea of obligations. Hmm. Yeah, so so with Boaz, we see that obligation. But then moving to Ruth, Ruth loved Naomi in a way that she was never obligated to. Nope. It's mm. <laughs> remarkable. Yeah, yeah. To see, but that's where we see the, the Hesed love of God. Yep. And it's that, co- you know, and, and Hesed is that covenantal loyalty. It's that covenantal love. Not the covenantal obligation. Not the covenantal obligation. The but covenant. see, this is where it goes back to this where mm-hmm. like, I get so excited. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Let's go. But, it, but, but if you read Deuteronomy, uh-huh. God's going to tell Israel, I didn't love you because you were lovable. Yeah. I didn't love you because you were great. I didn't love you because you were mighty. I, I just chose to love you out of all of the nations. I chose to love you. Yeah. The smallest of all. The smallest of all. Like, that's where he's like, so that's why, like, Ruth and Boaz, like, they do embody the Lord. Hmm. So he's covenantally obligated to do this, mm-hmm. but he also chooses to do this. Hmm. He even when, like, so, I mean, that's why, like, you take Ruth, she's a Moabite. Naomi is an Israelite. And. Uh, She's going back home, but Ruth does not have any obligation to stay with her. Has none. That's not her faith. That's her, not her God. But, all right, listen, I will, and this is what's so amazing. I'm going to choose to love you even though loving you might jeopardize my future. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, when we talk about love story, we miss that part too, the way Ruth loved Naomi. So this is where, uh, you know, Tim Keller, I listened to a message that he did on Ruth. And, you know, he talks about how Ruth does embody Jesus. So she left her home. 
Mm. Mm. And uh, she she went to a land that wasn't hers, mm. and she basically gave her life for Naomi. So so because that's why Na- that's why Naomi wanted her to stay in Moab is that you have a future here. Yeah, don't so 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 Jesus had the you know, in some sense Jesus had his future yeah. in heaven. Like here here I am. I'm in heaven, sitting on the throne, ruling. Like so, I'm going to leave my my throne. I'm going to leave my comfort. I'm going to leave my security. I'm going to put myself in harm's way, which Ruth did, because being a Moabite in Israel, put herself in harm's way. But also by doing that, said, you know what? I don't care if I don't have a future as long as you have one, Naomi. And and so she died to herself. And, and so that's where you have the beauty of the gospel. And so, but she chose to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where, when you look at Jesus being the greater Ruth, he chose to leave heaven, come to earth. He chose to die. He, you know, he chose to give his life so that that we might have life. And he chose that. And but that's where the beauty of God's sovereignty is that God had obligated him to do it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. You left me speechless. I mean, that's that's why, like, when you know, and that's why sometimes when people don't know the Bible, like, like, don't know the actual teachings of the Bible and and the context and the background and and, and how to connect, you know, because really when you look at the Bible, if you remember the connect the dots type thing, Mm -hmm. like, if you just look at the, you know, the dots, you're like, it's just a lot of dots. It don't even make any sense. But that's one of the things that I love about teaching the Bible is that I, I want to connect the dots. Because when you connect the dots like this, oh my gosh, it's it's an incredible picture of who our God is. And and there's there's so many more dots to connect than we realize. Oh, so many, so I mean, many more. It's so much more complex. Yeah. Because then we see the baby, uh, Obed. First of all, what did Obed do? <laughs> he was just born. <laughs> But he got credit for being the kinsman redeemer. Yeah, and it's interesting. His name is servant because you know a lot of time you know a lot a lot of people who you know write about Ruth or preach about Ruth they do they do make a lot about the names like Elimelech means my God is king. Yeah. Naomi means delightful or pleasant, but she says call me bitter. You know, or call me Marla because that means bitter. And yeah. then you have Orpa, which means like neck or you know kind of a beautiful mane. And like kind of like a horse would have, and then you have Ruth that means friend, and then Boaz means strong, sick and um, tired, and sick you know, Malon is sick and tired. Yeah, Malon is sick. Kilion is tired, you know, or weary, and uh, you know, and then along comes Obed, and his name just actually means servant, not ser- you know. So so it's a very ambiguous idea of yeah. servanthood. Yeah. And I think that I think that's neat actually because here he is, he is serving so many different people. He's obviously serving the Lord in the Lord's purposes. Yeah. He's serving Ruth and Boaz in in being now uh the the child that will carry on the name of Malon, but he's also serving Naomi in this way to give her this 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 peace, this security, this rest, the full hands, the full hands, and so he he is just a servant, and so I, I, that's why I, I like the ambiguity of his name of just meaning servant. And as I was thinking about it, you know, we we can kind of say, oh yeah, he he didn't do anything but being born, but honestly, like so, Obed grows up, right? By the time 
This is written. He grows up. And we know that during the time of Judges, people did write in their own minds. So, like, he could have done something, but there's nothing in the record that shows that he acted in a way that derailed God's plan. Right. So so we can assume that that he was um, he was continually um, you know being faithful, yeah. being a servant, and and obviously that that his name gives us a, a peek into that. Yeah. Um, let's move on to two more questions. We okay. want to talk about community, community, and then we want to talk about kind of the the how, and then the the so what. Okay. So we want to uh, Joe tackle the. The community part, yeah, because we know during this time, and you know, we one of the points we brought up: community graciously blessed her through support and prayer, mm-hmm. and and praise about what happened and how Ruth was. You know, that was very touching, and understanding that still during this time, during the story, during the time of Judges, people did whatever they wanted, right? But yet. We see the glimpse of this community, this close relation, this close relative of, of Naomi doing and fearing God, doing what they were supposed to do mm-hmm. and seeing how powerful this is and making sure we don't miss this piece because this is really going. So bringing this to us and understanding how the way the community acted in such a way. We want to make sure that this is kind of normal hmm. for yeah. our community. Yeah, I don't think we should miss it. Yeah. Right? I don't think we should miss it because it because we do see through the story it wasn't normal. It wasn't normal for the community to act this way. But the community really did um, surround her in a way that called them one of her own, their own, right, and made yeah. this distinction and praised her and blessed her and um, – and really, as I was thinking about it, it's it's a community that we um, we shouldn't just assume that we are a part of, but we should intentionally ensure that we are, you know, being a community like that of believers that is yeah. blessing and people that um, that maybe aren't our own or aren't um, you know aren't worthy or anything like that. So the whole community aspect of it, I've. I've never I've never read it in such a way that that made me see th- this is something special. There's a there's a uniqueness to it, and uh, I think it has some some uh, obviously uh, implications for us today. Yeah, and it brings us into it because even you referenced about how at the beginning of how Naomi felt mm. about in darkness, about mm. not you know really hopeless. Yeah. But yet the community was there mm. and saw it. Well, it, I guess how does that relate and bring us into this? I mean, it it is in, I mean, like it it really is interesting that the community would rally around Naomi like she did. Mm. But I do think that there is an element of that where they saw Ruth and how Ruth graciously loved her. And graciously worked yeah. and provided for her. I mean, because again, like Ruth is, she, she's known by the community by this time. And so, it, again, you have to understand that in, in some sense, not a lot of time has elapsed from the time that they got back from 
Moab to all of the, you know, chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four happening. You know, so they're seeing something, and I think they're, I think they're bewildered, you know, at this situation too. And they're actually, because again, you have to context, everybody did what was right in their own eyes, but here's this Moabite woman that is putting all the Israelites to shame because she's doing something that these Israelites, these, you know, Israelites aren't doing. <laughs> and, word, and word spread in the town. Yeah, basically. yeah, like, yeah. It seemed like everybody knew of her and her reputation just yeah. grew. Which is why I love this whole idea that this, this daughter-in-law of yours who has loved you is better than seven sons. Is like is it, she's better than the ideal family, Naomi. Like the community saw that. Like that's where I like I can't even I can't even like. And this is where I do remember uh, there was one. I think it was uh, yeah. I think it was Tim Keller because I love Tim Keller. Uh, you know, uh, I'm oh, gosh, man. I'm I'm really really sad that uh, he has passed. But all of his stuff is still online. And I'm grateful for it. But, you know, he even talks when he's preaching about Ruth. He even tells his own people, he's like, if you knew what I just told you, your draw would drop, your jaw would drop. Like, yeah. you have to understand the content. Like, like, and, and so, and, and I, I could echo that. Is like, I, I, I can't even communicate hmm. how enormous this is that a community of Israelites would tell her that this Moabite woman is better than seven sons, better than the ideal family. Wow. And that's where I'm like, so what, what, it was the Hesed love. It was the covenantal love. It was this gracious, merciful, Kind love that Ruth had showed Naomi, and yeah, and 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 so when you when you look at the prayer though of blessing, here's a question: like if they would not have prayed this prayer, what God, what what how how would have God worked? How would God have worked? Would He have? I mean, we don't know. We we don't know this, but here's what we do know: they prayed, and God answered. And so, so don't, and maybe this would be a fifth point, is do not neglect to see the power of prayer yeah. of when you bless someone. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, don't, I mean, because hmm. here God answers their prayer to, to the degree that I don't even know if they would have, know, you know, like what would have expected this. And again, that's part of where the writer, when he's when he's finishing up, like he wants everybody's jaw to drop. Like so, they pray this prayer of blessing over Ruth. She she produces Obed, the great grandfather of of David, and who's going to be the great 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 grandfather of Jesus. You know, it's just kind of like no, like wow. And so, Could you imagine the process of the writer. Writing that down, how excited they must have been. Oh, oh, yeah. I just – and and so that's where – like if you can pray a blessing over someone, Mm. pray a blessing over someone. And again, just know this. It wasn't for their – oh, this came to me. Sorry. I'm getting a little excited just thinking about it. Well, you know, when they made the prayer not about them but about – Ruth, Boaz, and the baby, uh-huh. they also got a blessing in it. Mm. How so? Well, 
because what they were ultimately praying for would ultimately have been their redeemer too the messiah the messiah you, you know and so you know you, you know again this this whole idea that when you are thinking about others and you're praying for their well-being and you're praying that God blesses them you'll never be empty god sees that oh yeah. man You'll, ne- you'll you'll never be. I mean, because yeah. he- he- and again, it goes back to that idea of like if you if you live with a closed fist and you're always angry, you you always feel like God's cheating you or other people are cheating you, and you can never release your hands and say, mm-hmm. God, what do you want? What do you want to give me, or what can I give others? I'm telling you, if you have a closed fist, you will always be empty. But if you in in God's eyes and in God's way of living, if you will just live with open hands, I promise you, He will always fill your hands with something. And we see, again, we see we see that with Naomi, and and it will always be more than enough. I mean, that's the thing. And the reason why it will be more than enough is because you will have personally realized God's powerful redemption. Mm-hmm. And you will realize that well, he's enough. He's actually more than enough. Mm-hmm. Way so, more than enough. Which is why, like, so Job, when you and I wanted to bring this up. Again, just couldn't bring it up. But this is why Job says, though God slay me, yet I will hope in him. Yeah. Like, so, and, and why would he do that? Well, because he's going to actually talk about this in chapter 19, verse 25. Because I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I will myself see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. So he's basically saying that I know that even though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Because if he does slay me, and even if I'm even if I'm destroyed here on earth, then yet in my uh, with my flesh, I like he somehow believes that what what will be lost somehow in some way. Don't know how it's going to happen because my redeemer lives. I'm going to be restored, yeah. and so that's why like when you see that, like Joe believed yeah. what we see Naomi experience. Oh, Although he slay me, where I'm doomed. In a dark place, devastated, yet I'm going to hope in him. And then she actually experiences that my Redeemer does live. Mm-hmm. That although, just like Job, I'd lost everything, but he has restored unto me. He has redeemed unto me multiple fold in what I lost. Mm-hmm. Multiple, over and over. Over and over and over. Like, uh, Yeah. I mean, it's just like, and that's what I'm mean, telling you. That's what I, ha- I personally, I, I have, I have experienced it. I've experienced it so, like, ultimately, yes, spiritually, because I, I mean, I really do. I get it. I love Jesus. That doesn't mean I'm perfect, but praise God, He has put His Spirit in me. And so, when 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 I do sin, when when I uh, I do get out of line, the Spirit of God brings me back. That He's given me the joy of heaven. He's given me an completely different outlook and perspective on life. How I look at my wife, how I look at my children. That all has come from Him. When I think about my call, and when I think about 
about being at very, very tough churches where I've learned the good, the bad, and the ugly of leading church, you know, churches, but also le- learned the good, the bad, and the ugly of me, where sometimes the good, the bad, and uh, the ugly of me has gotten the better of me, where I've been left with nothing, where I've been left with no job, where I've been left with no paycheck, but God miraculously works to redeem and says, I'm not done with you. You haven't disqualified yourself. Sure, you need to learn a little bit of things, you know, maybe a little bit of humility would be great, you know, and so, so, but he has, he has not left me in my dark place. He's not left me doomed. He has redeemed me. He has redeemed my call and what I'm experiencing now. I'm telling you, that is the faithfulness of God, not anything of me. And that's where I'm just like, I, I just want, I just want to testify. That's the thing. Like, maybe that's the thing. I just want to testify. Like, and so, um, and, and then when you look, yeah, and then when you look at yeah, just how God works, I want us to be a church like this community. Yeah. Like, that's what, it, like, because, p- p- again, part of the elements of redemption is a community that's going to come around you, support you, pray nothing but blessing on you, be around, like, and, and so, uh, like, I want us to be a church like that. So that people can experience just, again, just, just a facet, just an element of God's redemption. So, yeah, I, yeah, sorry, I'm, I, yeah, get, yeah, get a little worked up because it's, yeah, man. It's so good. There, there's a couple things you, you ended with, which were, yep. which were so good. Uh, I was saying before, you know, this message could have been split into two messages, but, you know, there's just so much weight and density to it but obviously it wouldn't have had the same uh, impact yeah um but you talked about where jesus is in ruth um you had that you had that chart which is yep. so powerful you gave us like what 15 scriptures <laughs> in those sections and, and went through all of them but that is uh that's such a helpful exercise you talk about connecting the dots you connected many, many, many dots through many scriptures of that, with Jesus as the greater Boaz, as the greater Ruth, as the greater Obed, and the greater community. Uh, but where I want us to kind of end is um, is this idea of we will become a redemptive community mm. empowered by the Spirit. How how do we do that? Right. So you laid out we'll graciously fulfill the covenantal obligations God has given us. Uh, we will choose graciously to love each other and the world. We will watch the Lord graciously add to our corporate family. That's basically a, a result, the fruit of those first two. And then we'll graciously encourage, support, pray, and bless one another in our community. You talked about that importance of blessing. So um, which of those might you want to uh, to touch on? Well, we- I'll, I'll just turn it to you because I had asked you – to, to help me out yes, and did. to provide what are some New Testament covenantal obligations that we have as believers. Yeah. So you want to read that list that you, you – know, I'll let you read the list. You did I'll, the homework. I'll, I'll read it. Yeah. As you were going through it, one that was not on my list, which I was kicking myself, was giving. Uh, I cannot believe I missed giving. Um, but, yeah, let, let me go through this list. Um, yeah, the question was what are the – New te- for New Testament Christians, covenantal obligations. Because I want I want people to realize, like in the Old Testament, it was a conditional covenant that so God set up the law. Yeah. Here's the thing: the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws yeah. that He gave yeah. the nation of Israel in the Promised Land. Those were the stipulations. 
Those were the covenantal obligations. So, like when we read Deuteronomy 25 about the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, that was a covenantal obligation. Okay? Uh, the gleaning of the fields and leaving, that was a covenantal obligation. And what you see in Jeremiah and a couple other different prophets will point out is that God's going to come punish you because you failed at these covenantal obligations. Okay? So, now in the New Testament, now we're not in a conditional covenant this is an unconditional covenant mm. that uh, but th- th- this is why the, the the new testament is so much better than the old is and that's why the spirit of god and that's why i said a redemptive community empowered by whom yeah. the spirit of god yeah. so because the spirit of god lives in us we will not be again when you look at israel they were perpetually unfaithful mm. perpetually right but with the new covenant that has been made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection, when we confess him as Redeemer, when we confess him as Lord and Savior, he forgives us, redeems us, all of the things that I talked about, but he also imputes his righteousness and thus his spirit inside of us so that if we do wonder, we won't wonder for long. Mm. It won't be perpetual mm. because he has put a fail-safe proof, his spirit, the spirit of God, inside of us to bring us back. Yeah. So so with all of that, but, but nevertheless, there are covenantal stipulations yeah. that he still has put on us that we will want to fulfill because his spirit lives inside of us because we are new creatures, mm. new creation in Christ, so so that 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 that's kind of more of the theological understanding yeah. of those things. So go ahead and read that list. Yeah. So first is the nations. We'll go to the nations in Matthew twenty-eight, uh, Acts one-eight. We'll go. So let me let witnesses. me yeah. So let me stop right there and talk about nations. All right. Sure. So because again, you know, people are asking, well, you know, why aren't we praying for Israel? And and I've and I've told them, well, we have and we continue. We we spent in the the first message in Ruth. We yeah. did. We also spent the podcast talking about it. Uh, we also have other prayer groups throughout Northland that are praying. But one of the things that I want people to realize is that part of our covenantal obligation, yes, it is to pray for Israel, but it is also to pray for Palestine. It is also to pray for Hamas. It, it, why? Now, again, I, I know, like, yeah. well, it might, da- you know, it might damage or endanger. Like, again, it's a covenantal obligation because mm-hmm. God has said that He wants to reach the nations. And so, and and like I was telling one, one person this past weekend is that ultimately, like if you think about it, is that right now Israel is in disobedience to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And as I read my Bible, and I'm reading through Jeremiah right now, when Israel was in disobedience to the Lord, God rose up armies to attack them. Wow. And, and so, and again, I'm not praying that Israel gets attacked, but here's what I am praying for, just what Paul prayed for. I'm praying that they that they come to know the Prince of Peace. Okay. But 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 again, part of the covenantal obligation is to pray for the nations, the nations, all the people of the earth. All the people yes, of the earth. yeah. And so that's why Psalm two. It's it's a messianic psalm. Yeah. 
ask and I will give the nations to you as your inheritance. So when when Jesus sends out his disciples in Matthew 28 and then Acts 1-8, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What is he saying? He's saying the covenantal obligation that I am fulfilling in Abraham, I'm actually going to fulfill through you because I've put my spirit in you to fulfill the obligations to reach the nations. So anyway, sorry. Just, now now yep. you're preaching. Now, now I'm preaching because I'm going to connect the dots. Absolutely. Um and, and honestly, this exercise was a lot of that, was a lot of thinking through and, and connecting those dots, Old Testament to New Testament. Um, the next category section I had was love. We'll love God and love others. Um, that obviously comes from Deuteronomy 6 and, and Mark 12. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Along that, Matthew 5, we'll love our enemies and we'll pray for those who persecute us. Um, and then this idea of, of a practical love for others in Matthew 25, um, you know, when, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was naked, um, you know, you clothed me, you fed me, you gave me water. Yeah, so those obligations really going back to even the old covenant, mm. and it still is in the new, mm. is obligating yourself as a as a people to care for the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized. Yeah. yeah. So like even so I and again th- this isn't to this isn't to be polarizing, this isn't to be divisive uh because as as the the church uh we're just Jesus people. Right. And but so when you when you have immigrants coming over here, yeah. uh, that yes, there 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 should be order from a national from a you know geopolitical standpoint, and I completely get that and I agree with that. However, you, you know there is an obligation for us as the people of God to care for the immigrant, to care for the foreigner, to care for the stranger. And, and and here's the thing: just by saying that doesn't mean that I don't believe the other thing either. Right? You, you know, um, where well, just anybody and everybody, you know, no. But but again, there's a covenantal obligation that we have yeah. as the people of God to do this. And and, and so yes, does it cost us? Because mm. again, covenantal obligations mm. actually do cost you. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's where the word obligation is helpful because yeah. it 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 uh, it takes away. It's it's basically regardless of our feelings, right? But yeah. that's where the the spirit will help us, right? Lead us into these obligations. Uh, the next section is sacraments, uh, communion, and baptism. Yeah. Um, the next section is staying connected to God and the body. Uh, we talk about unity within the body. John seventeen. Um, John 15, remain in me as I in you, the, the, the vine, um, staying connected to, to Jesus as the vine. Um, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they were connected to each other. They weren't separated. And then, um, and then staying connected through prayer. Um, Mark 11, Romans 12, and Philippians 4. Yeah, and I and I would just stress the covenantal obligations of being part of the body of Christ. Yeah, because we're living in a day and age where believers want to give up on the body, right? Okay. And yeah. let's not give up on the body. That is a covenantal obligation. Because not only did Jesus save you from your sin, not only did He save you from your enslavement, 
but he saved you to himself. He saved you to his mission and ultimately has saved you to his body, uh, his his covenant you know, community. And, and I always stress this. It doesn't mean that you have to be part of a, a large church. It doesn't mean that you have to be like, it could be a micro church. It could be like, but you're part of some kind of body of Christ, whether it's small, whether it's, you know, like whatever it may be, but you are obligated to be part of his church, mm-hmm. not isolated from his church, mm-hmm. not like, well, you know, I'll, you, you know, I'll, I'll just do my own thing and I'll mm-hmm. tune in every now and then, mm-hmm. you know, no, 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 you, you, you got to have other brothers and sisters around you. Mm-hmm. So and and that really aspect of prayer, yeah, this, you know, the connection to God and you're being around in that, that body of Christ is just like, well, let's pray together. And so much, and you don't catch this because we, or at least I didn't at first catch so much that happened before, you know, the prayer happened before the event. Yeah. And you could see, well, they were together in prayer. Yeah. And I was just going through Acts, and they were together praying before the Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah. So, it, you know, when you, when you start looking at those pre-scriptures before the event, you start, oh, wow, they were praying. Yeah. Well, Jesus went away and prayed, and then this happened, and then this yeah. was praying and stuff. So. And yeah. when you are praying blessing over people and when you are interceding for them, that is naturally – that naturally connects you to them. Mm-hmm. naturally connects you to the body. Yeah. And that leads to our next section, which is sanctification. Mm. Um, Romans six nineteen. now present your members of slaves to ri- as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Um, 2 Timothy two twenty two. be set apart as a vessel for honorable use. Um, this idea of uh, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Um, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. Um, we're called in 1 Thessalonians 4 to lead a life pleasing to God through holiness. Um, in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6, we're called to be ministers of a new covenant. Any thoughts on that section? Yeah, I, I think what – yeah, I mean <laughs> this what we're – and this is one of the things that I love about preaching and teaching mm. is that we just created the framework for you to understand all of these New Testament commands. Right. Like, yeah. you, you know, like these are obligations. So it's not like you just come to Jesus and like, man, I'm good. Man, I'm going to heaven when I die. No, no, hang on, hang on. Hey, yeah. But you are going to go to heaven when you die. But uh, you just know that when 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 you're covered in the blood of Jesus and he's redeemed you, now he has made you into a redemptive community yeah. that has now all of these obligations tied to it. Yeah. And then if, if you say, here's the thing, if you say, I don't want those obligations, what you're saying is I don't want Jesus. I mean, again, let, let's just let's just be as honest because we're we're living in a day and age where we need to count. I mean, this is what Jesus says: you need to count the cost. Yeah, you, you know, you if you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up your cross and follow me daily. And that cross literally represents these covenantal obligations of dying to yourself and living to the kingdom of God. And so those those are kingdom obligations that we have now as now kingdom citizens, as children of God, that yes, we are saying when we claim Jesus as Redeemer, as Lord, as Savior, we are obligating ourselves to do what he has commanded. And so now you actually have, now 
now just through the book of Ruth, though, in the in the last message, we've given you now a framework of how to understand redemption yeah. and how we are now redeemed. Because go back to Ruth and Boaz. They're redemptive people. The community is a redemptive people. Yeah. The Ob, you know, Obed, the baby, is a redemptive person. Yeah. And, and so and that's why I love is that Jesus embodies the greater elements of uh, again in the old testament like again you're looking at all of these these people these men and women who lived who embodied some kind of characteristic of god jesus comes along and that's why he's the greater just fill in the blank so he is the greater you know boaz the greater ruth the greater obed the greater community yeah. but but don't don't miss the fact that boaz played the redeemer well he played the kinsman re- when I say played, he enacted, he exercised the kinsman redeemer. Mm-hmm. Ruth exercised the redeeming love. Mm-hmm. Obed, you know, he exercised just in his sheer presence this redemptive presence. Yeah. You know, the community represented and enacted a redemptive community that's going to pray ble- like so if the Old Testament saints could do this at a time when they did not have the Spirit of God filling them, mm. at a time when the when the greater Redeemer hasn't come to die and and was raised from the dead, what should the New Testament redemptive community look like? Mm. We should be living out the the, the mm. you know the Boaz element. Mm. We should be living out the Ruth elements. We should be living out the so that's where I'm like don't and that's why I wanted to end that this way is that yeah so in some sense I went from I went from the redemptive elements to Naomi to what those redemptive elements pointed to to now the redemptive community of the New Testament which is the church. And so I so I wanted to construct yeah. that that message in showing how Jesus and again how we always pray Jesus is ultimately the center. So he's the one that connects us to the Old Testament saints, but we can live out what the Old Testament saints couldn't fully permanently live out because they didn't have Jesus. But we do. And Paul calls us in Ephesians to live a life worthy of the call. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yep. Yep. The last two sections, moral law, uh, Jesus lays out in Matthew 5, the Sermon on – 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Um, all all the different um, morality. And then finally Hebrews 13, 1 through 17, there's a a great list there. Sacrifice is pleasing to God. He, He lists hospitality to strangers, remembering the prisoners, honor for marriage. Resist the love of money. Remember your leaders. Resist strange teaching. Yeah. That was just a list I came up with. Um, you, you would come up with a, another list, I'm sure, and uh, and I would encourage what? listeners to, to do that exercise. Yeah. And you know, and I looked at you know, I looked at your list, and yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, and so, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to explain them all. Sure. So I, I put you know the the ones that I you know I did put. Now some of some of what you put could go to the next category, which we will choose graciously to love each other in the world. And what I mean by world is just everybody else. So it includes your enemies, includes right. like yeah. yeah. So love one another, like because you're going to grace, you're going to choose to do that. Mm-hmm. You're going to choose love. Like now, yes, I, I do believe that there is that element of covenantal obligation. But when we look at love and God's love, He chooses to love the unlovable. Mm-hmm. That that's what you know. That that's what really stands out to me is that redeeming love. Mm-hmm. And and I love you know I love 
the the hymn "There Is a Fountain," you know, because redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I, you know, die. But no, you, you had a pretty extensive list there, and uh, you know, and, and but I wanted to make sure I put marriage there. Is that that is a covenantal obligation as as a believer? Right. Not only is it a covenantal obligation that you have signed up for for your spouse but also in the eyes of God because he's the one who brought y'all two together right you know which is why God says what I've brought together what I've joined let no man separate right so those are man those are all good things and just to really stress before we end is that when you look at what Boaz graciously obligated himself to do and how Ruth graciously chose to love Naomi, those two coming together produced Obed. Hmm. And so that's why I wanted to stress that when the church lives out both of those redemptive elements of Jesus, the natural outpouring of that is reproduction, is is disciple-making. And I I don't want us to forget that, is that when we live out our covenantal obligations of the kingdom and when we choose to love – Everyone, regardless of who they are, what they've done, the natural the natural outcome is reproduction. Which then, once once you know, then when you look at the the reproduction, is that you know we're just going to graciously just bless everybody. I'm going to bless Joe. I'm going to bless Matt. I'm going to bless you. know, I'm going to bless the kid. Like I, I'm just going to live out of the now like overflow. I mean, because if you think about it. I, the the community ultimately they're they're just kind of wowed by all right here you got a guy like listen you won't do it I'll do it yeah. and there's this joy of doing this covenantal obligation yeah. because that's why there was no shame in acted to the guy who didn't fulfill his obligation is because you have someone who is joyfully and graciously willing mm-hmm. then you have this then you have this daughter in law who's doing what in some sense Israelites didn't do choose to love and and then you have this like baby and then the community is just like oh my like what they're seeing they're they're actually seeing the blessing of god unfold yeah. we're just going to continue to bless we're you know yeah. we're going to bless ruth we're going to bless boaz we're going to bless obed now i mean and if you think about it uh that's nine months of blessing because first of all they had to bless bless ruth then they had to bless Boaz. Then she gets pregnant. Yeah. And then when she has Obed, they're going to bless Obed. So, again, you have just nine months of just this is a community that is rallying around this family, just blessing them. Wow. Love it. So, well, Northland family and friends, I hope and pray that you have enjoyed our series more than enough, a study through the book of Ruth. Hey, we actually start a brand new series this coming week on Redeeming No. no. So and the thing about that whole idea of redeeming, yeah. right? So you're 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 going to make up for something that you've lost. So this so this idea that any time that you say yes, there's always a loss, mm-hmm. you know. So we're just going to understand how we can leverage and utilize the word no in a redemptive way, mm-hmm. so that we might become more and more like Jesus. And so I cannot wait to unpack this series with you over the next several weeks. So we love you. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.